Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is Hi, and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host, along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Thursday, March the 3rd, 2016, and tomorrow is the last day of our intensive here. It has gone by really fast. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and your questions because it really does make it your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're here to join us to engage in this understanding and conversation about the deep healing process of first-century Aramaic forgiveness and all of the corollary tools that come along with the process. I was talking with someone this morning who's in a very deep uh, why is this happening to me again experience, a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, and asking the question, what do I need to do about them? What should I do here? I want to hurt them. I want to be, you know, vindictive with them. And You know, what do I do about them? And, you know, it's it's interesting how the non-being mind always goes for the correct the, the question that is incorrect. It's not the question you want to be asking. If I'm in pain, if I'm in turmoil, and my mind tells me it's over something, then my mind is caught up in the lie. And the lie is that something out there could possibly cause something painful to happen in here. So the question when I'm wondering how to treat them, how to deal with them, whether I should be vindictive, whether I should hurt them, is really a a moot question. Because if I don't ever change the part of me that invites the repeated experience, then I'm going to get to do it again and again and again. And the more I lash out, the more intense my pain will become. Because, of course, to lash out, I have to put the energy of lashing out through my energy field. I get the original and they get the carbon copy. And so the question to be asking in that situation is, what do I need to deal with inside of myself in order to change this dynamic? And, you know, it takes a tremendous amount of commitment of work that it takes to dig up 
one of those old, really traumatic dynamics that keeps repeating over and over and over again. And unfortunately, and this is kind of the conclusion of the conversation, unfortunately, it's probably for most people not going to happen just working on their own. It's it's going to take a, a support space and someone who can help to see past the blockages to begin to break down the barriers to seeing the root of such deep and traumatic pain within. Most people have been genetically, genetically predisposed and have lived their lives so as to avoid their pain. We are giving the exact opposite input. Stop avoiding your pain. Choose to head into it. Bring the presence of love with you. And the root of your pain will dissolve. And when the root of your pain dissolves, your why is this happening to me again experience will dissolve. Because your why is this happening to me again experience comes from within. It doesn't come from without. And so the the skills required, the ability to see through our own blocks, the ability to see how we can hide from ourselves is difficult because we've been doing it all our lives. And all the beliefs that we have built upon a false foundation, we believe. <clears throat> and so recognizing the mind is an evidential device. What do I mean when I say evidential? Well, there's some interesting Harvard research that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, the max amount of data that can come into conscious awareness is nine bits. So nine bits out of 10,000 units of information firing in me can come to awareness. And if I've told my mind over and over and over again, this is somebody else's fault, this is somebody else's fault, this is somebody else's fault, I'm in pain because of them, they did it to me, this is somebody else's fault, it's their fault, they did it to me, the problem's out there, then what I've said to my mind over and over and over again, if you listen to the voices of your parents and their parents and their parents, it's maybe been a while in most people's bloodlines and somebody said, hmm, I'm in pain. I just drew a really traumatic experience to me. I wonder what's going on inside of me that I would draw such a traumatic experience. And the key lies in our fears and being able to face them. And you go all the way back to Job in the Old Testament. And Job's just a story of a major healing process. And when he gets through it, Job says, that which I feared most has come upon me. He comes to a conclusion. Oh, my God, I set this up. This was all about me. And I couldn't see it. And in the process of doing that, things are going to become very, very intense. In fact, so intense, if you read Job, you'll see Job in the middle of his healing crisis who says, you know, I, I just I need an intermission. Just give me time out for a little bit. And you get some sense of the intensity of his healing process because he says, please just give me time to swallow my saliva. That means one is in a really deep, intense healing process. And, you know, if, if we have the capacity to draw to us tremendous pain or tremendously painful experiences that show us the depth of our pain, then 
It's going to take an equal commitment to do something other than drug yourself so you don't have to feel it and deal with it. It's going to take an equal equal commitment to healing to move through that. And so the reason we do this show, and we're now on our sixth year, five days a week, is to offer support to people who are in that commitment, who perhaps can't just jump up and come to an intensive, but to, to offer support to move through those layers and those levels of deep trauma and deep pain that play out. And the situation this person was dealing with was one of having reached out to someone who was in, you know, dire circumstances and provided them with support and caring and actually with a job, a a job at a much higher level than they were actually uh, able to perform at, but when they hadn't paid them for it. And this person turned around and betrayed them and basically had it set up so they almost lost their business. And when you recognize that when you, you choose to reach out to someone who's in dire circumstances, the depth of their power person issues are going to be intense. You want to make sure that you can hold the space for the healing of those issues because the person you reach out to help, if they're really truly going to heal, is going to have to go to depth of whatever it is that they haven't dealt with. And so the process of healing is not Dr. Feelgood, and it is a practice. I think it's a practice that every one of us should have been taught since early childhood. If we had, the world would be a much different game. And so we're here for those who want to play excuse me, that deeper game of healing to be able to recognize that if I'm in pain, there's something going on inside of me that I need to deal with. And when I learn to deal with it, when I acquire the skills and the tools to deal with it, then I'll get free of those things. And that's what we're here to support you in doing. So we're honored and delighted that you're here to join us. And if we can be of support, if we can give you any insight, if you're interested in the forgiveness tool and you have not yet put it to work, then we invite you to simply pick up the phone, or if you're on the the show already, if you're in the phone queue, push one, ask your question. And if you're on the uh, in the chat room, you can ask your question in the chat room. Or our call-in number is 646-200-4169. We would love to be here to support you. That's our whole reason for doing what we're doing. So we're honored that you're here. And any way we can support you, we are happy to do so. So Jeannie, is uh, Dr. Tim with us today? He is, and he's on. Oh, great. Well, let's say hello to Dr. Tim and see how the young man is and see if there's anything exciting happening in your world, Tim. Well, I'm here. I'm doing well. I'm uh, I'm blessed to have had another couple sessions this morning where people were doing uh status checks in their life. They've been through some upheavals and realized that because they'd been applying the tools, 
they're handling things dramatically better and differently than they would have just six months or a year ago. So, so I'm Listen. blessed. Pardon me? I say it's always awesome to be part of that and watch that happen, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and most of the, the, the first couple of sessions today had to do with recognizing that the individuals involved who've been working with me, who are working with the tools, are coming to newer, deeper realizations that they can't change the other person. And in in my work, personally for myself, I realized a whole, like a quantum leap in that process when I first got a hold of the fact that I'm the one creating all of my pain at deeper and deeper levels, all of my fear, all of my sadness. And the, the more deeply that sank in with me, the more I developed the habit of taking a breath and looking inside whenever I got triggered at even the least bit. After I don't know how many months or, you know, years of doing that, I woke up one morning and realized that when someone was angry at me in my face, I had a whole different level of ability to see past trying to fix them and trying to think I must have done something to make them angry or sad or scared. And it, it was rooted in my my deeper realization that I'm causing all of my own upset and once I got that clear at a deeper level, it was far easier for me to see that I'm not doing what's upsetting somebody else. And that gave me the space to to be in their presence when they were agitated or upset and stand there right up close and look at their situation with compassion rather than defensiveness. And that was part of the discussion twice this morning with people, that they were noticing the same thing, that the more they get in touch with the idea and then begin to develop the practice within themselves to look inside whenever they're upset, the easier it is for them to be around other people who are upset and not take it on as their responsibility. So that's my offering for today. my offering. Michael, are you there? Well, maybe he is. I am. And maybe I, am. I was mute. <laughs> I was mute challenged for a moment, so my apology, but I was saying, yes, awesome insight and uh, so powerful and and such a big piece of one's own puzzle to get a hold of. It is so huge, isn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly was for me. It, it, it made a quantum leap in my ability to be in people's presence when they were upset and just not get defensive and not run away. To be there and be loving or be there and be compassionate, it was a huge, huge piece. Hold the space, yes, for sure. Yeah, I've I've found it a, a simple little tool for myself that I found useful is just just a, a mini reminder when 
when my mind wants to jump into some kind of, you know, snit or what have you, just stop and just say to myself, oh, this is about me. This is about me. Oh, this is about me. Oh, damn, this is about me. Oh, another piece of work for me to do. And that can be a way to short-circuit the the huge explosions that happen and all the crazy manifestations, the fighting, the struggle, the strife, to just stop short, take a breath, and, oh, this is about me. So before I say anything, I'm going to clean up my mind. And then oftentimes the miracle of them changing happens in a, just a fraction of a second. And uh, so it's pretty pretty awesome to watch it occur. Well, the brain cells in me that get triggered when you say it that way, this is about me, this is about me, this is about me. As Years ago I wrote an article about the EFT tapping process, and um, the article was titled, It's In Here. And the article was about how with the EFT tapping process, every time I engage in it, I'm giving myself a nonverbal cue about where the problem really is. Because when I get angry or sad or scared and I go to do EFT tapping about it, and I think I'm angry because somebody just treated me disrespectfully, I don't go over and tap on their forehead. I tap on my forehead. It reminds me of the exercise that you do sometimes and you in your talks and you have people get in touch with a pain they're feeling and then put their hand where they feel the pain and then open their eyes and realize nobody's hand is reaching out into open space or pointing towards somebody else. Everybody has their hand on their own head or chest or throat or stomach because the pain is on the inside and that's why they're feeling it on the inside. And so that nonverbal cue in the EFT tapping that it's in here, this anger I have, that's in here, and I'm tapping on my energy meridian points. Yeah. It's an awesome realization and one that, uh, if we can just get a critical mass, is going to be so it's such a life-changing event in the world when that, when that single idea hits critical mass. The world is going to be different by leaps and bounds that we can't even imagine. In fact, energetically, you go back to the physicist Yeshua 2,000 years ago, and he says the world will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, the whole physiological space that we live in, our physiology and the world around us, literally when we hit critical mass, in an instant, there will be a transformation that will take place, and you won't know you're living in the same world. You won't know you're living in the same body. You won't know you're living in the same mind or the same literal energetic space that you call your world. And the insight that uh, that, that gentleman had and the gifts he gave us are just so far beyond comprehensible. It's it just keeps opening and opening and opening. So let's take more callers. Oh, well, let's say hello to a caller then, sweetie. The first, there's a lot of rattling on your end, Michael. I'll mute okay, myself. Okay, the first caller is 858. You're on the air. Who do we have? 
Hi, Michael. This is Paul Rafiki in San Diego. How are you? I am well, sir. Welcome. And excellent. Well, great. Uh, I have a comment and a question. Um, the comment is that uh, I, I do some coaching with NLP and so forth and have for some time, and a friend of mine called me yesterday, a, a woman who had um, lost a dear friend over the weekend very suddenly and was in a lot of grief. And she called me for support, basically, in coaching. And so um, after listening to her for a little while, after she wanted to tell her story for a while and, and, and cry a bit, and so I let her do that. And then um, it suddenly struck me, um, while I am fairly new into the process here, just a few months of of learning about all of your wonderful strategies, um, that, gee, you know, it suddenly in my mind it just popped in there, and so I went with it. It was, no. Well, what about canceling some goals that she had around this? And I don't need to get into specific goals, but she had specific goals that were popping up. And so I I just very simply went through the process, um, may not have followed all the detail, but, you know, I had her take a deep breath. Just say to yourself, cancel. I cancel my goal to do this and see what comes up for you. And I had to do that with two or three different things. And she had been really um, kind of in mourning for a few days and not able to function well to that point because, you know, it was like Saturday this person passed away. <laughs> and this was yesterday. I had a conversation with her. And um, I, I just watched her just totally transform in front of my eyes. I mean, I was... I thought, oh, I'll give this a shot and see what happens, you know? And it just totally amazed me. I mean, I was sitting there going, wow. And this was on Skype. We were doing this. So I was watching her. And she just started to talk and release all this stuff and said, wow, you know, I feel so aligned now. I feel so great. And she went on and on for the next 10 or 15 minutes about how great life was suddenly. So I hear you. Um, yeah, I mean, it was that quick, that simple. Um, and I talked to her a little bit about your work and gave her a website and all that kind of thing. And so I just want to thank you, you and everyone who supports you there, um, Dr. Tim and everyone else. Um, you you helped someone through a crisis through through me, I guess, uh, in, in, yesterday. And so it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. Well, that's... Um, that's fabulous. And you know, Paul, I've been I've been doing this with people for thirty five years and it still always mm-hmm. amazes me when people are willing to cancel that goal, what they drop into, what they process through and what they look like and feel like on the other side. And I'm certainly delighted to be an instrument to uh, to bring this forward, but the real person to acknowledge is this man 2,000 years ago named Yeshua who yes. came up with and understood and gave us the tool. Because I, I doubt that in the next million years I would have figured it out. But um, mm-hmm. but it is it is just the most amazing thing. It's beyond comprehension. Yeah. So I hear you loud and clear. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. It's just, it, it, it always still just boggles my mind when somebody... Let's go with that goal and, whoa, the volcano that's underneath it and what cleans out and what clears out. And 
It's pretty sweet. Right. So, delighted to have you on the team. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's wonderful being here. I, I get more elated by the process every day. Um, the more I learn about it and practice it myself. Um, and I, I did have a question also. Um, Great. You mentioned you've used it, the term a little earlier today, and I heard it used a lot. And I've never had really anyone sit down and say this is what it means. And I have a good, I think, a sense of it. But it's the term holding the space. When you think of holding the space for someone, what does that look like and what are you doing not doing? Okay, well, there's an exercise that we do called the love exchange. And, of course, the root of the work, the, the, the basic question, the first thing that we ask when we are in front of a new audience is we'll ask people, how many have ever held a newborn child? And most mm-hmm. people will smile and, you know, go to that experience. And then we ask people to describe the essence of the newborn. And everybody's descriptor all over the planet, it doesn't matter what culture they're in, what language they speak, is always some variation on the theme of love. So that becomes our definition of love. And then we teach a thing that we call a love exchange. Love exchange, what we'll do is we'll, you know, if we're in an intensive and it's an early exercise that we do, so we'll have people pair up and and ask one person to be light and the other person will be peace. And uh, and we'll ask them in turn to each become the sender and the receiver. And when one is the sender, we invite them to close their eyes, go inside, find the deepest, clearest connection to love that they can, intensify that love, open their eyes, and send it through their eyes to their partner. And then the receiving partner puts her hand up to see what, if anything, is coming out of that person's eyes. So that's the love exchange. And so basically uh, holding the space would be the equivalent of doing a love exchange with, you know, if I'm looking at my bank account and I'm all upset because there's less money than I thought, then I do a love exchange with my, you know, my bank statement. If it's the person on the phone and it doesn't matter whether they're on the other side of the planet, uh, all so-called material substance is totally transparent to these higher frequencies, much in the same way as, uh, you know, all your your house or whatever, your car is transparent to a radio wave. That's how you get we get to listen to the radio inside. Those higher energies penetrate and move through everything that's so-called physical. And so it doesn't matter whether that person's on the other side of town, sitting across the couch from you or on the other side of the planet, we can hold a space for someone. And the, the whole idea of this show is to develop a group of people who live in a community where that's what they're about. And it's interesting, in the Aramaic language, there's a specific set of words that were translated by the Greeks as the kingdom of heaven, and those words actually translate from Aramaic, the community of love. So it's building a community of people who are there to hold the space for each other and to recognize that we each have that ability. Yes, perfect. Well, it makes, yeah, it was, that's basically in alignment with what I thought, but I want to be clear on how you all were thinking about it, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and when you were saying that, you know, I, I continue to go with my subconscious more and more as, as things pop up in my mind, um, while you were saying that, I, on my desk I have a, um, a, a traffic ticket, the first one I've gotten in decades. For, for going through a red light here in California, you can you can 
stop and and if it's clear to like make a right, you know, or whatever, you can make a right hand turn. And I didn't didn't really stop very much. And police officer was kind of sitting right there and caught me doing this. And um, so I have this five hundred dollar ticket. So I have to do a lot of things with it, I guess. I know. I just figured out how much it was. And I said, holy mackerel. <laughs> wow. So State really uh, wants to pound the flesh on that one, doesn't it? Yeah, they do. They are very here. They're, they're looking for money everywhere. So, um, But yeah. I guess it's, my, the lesson is it's prevented me from some accident in the future by by not, you know, obeying the, the rules on the road. <laughs> That's the upside. I hear you. Yeah, I hear you, and uh, you know you might picture that officer and do a love exchange with the officer mm-hmm. and uh, the people who wrote the unjust laws, which uh, you know the king does lots of that when he's uh, mm-hmm. searching for for more money. That's uh, that's part and parcel uh, of, right. of the game, and uh, so uh, I, I join you in holding that space and. Uh, and that we bring things back to a more balanced state because things have gone pretty far out of whack in this country. Yes, yes. absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, sir. Appreciation and blessings. But let me and let me throw out another thought. Yeah. Based on this idea of holding the space, and mm-hmm. and that is that to recognize that we're always a space. And mm-hmm. you know. Back about three decades ago, I used to keynote at a conference called Global Sciences. And one year, uh, a gentleman named Marcel Vogel, who was a 23-year senior scientist from IBM, came to the conference. And he had a camera called a Delaware camera, which was a camera that could take a picture of the high-energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought. And that that piece of information has just become so key in this work to recognize that everything that moves in us is literally creating a space the the movement of energy you know if if you imagine i'm standing underwater swinging a pail of water around in my hand what happens is that pail of water moves as a wave is created in 360 degree you know 360 degrees and so it is with anything that moves in me. When hate and fear or anger or rage move in me, I'm literally spraying out an energy on the person standing in front of me that is hate and fear and anger or rage. So I have a certain space, and I'll usually get kind of a response. Mm. And mm. when I can consciously, purposely make sure that my true human life is in, is active in me and moving in me, then I'm literally spraying that energy of love on the person standing in front of me. And we're always, by our perception, spraying something on the people around us. There's a, a really cool video that, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, it's gone around the Internet, so you may have seen it, but Jeannie's got a link on our website. And it's a story about two young men in England who had uh, been at Harrods department store and they had, there was a, a lion cub for sale. So they bought it, took it home and raised it until it was, you know, so big they couldn't handle it. They created it up and sent it off to a, a preserve in Africa. And about a year later, they contacted the preserve and said they wanted to come visit their lion. And the preserve said, well, uh, you know, this thing is a wild beast. It's tagged. It's got its own pride. It would tear you to pieces if you confronted it now. 
And these two guys said, we want to come see our lion. And so they fly over there, and the, the people who own the preserve, you know, dutifully put them in a Jeep and take them out with a guy with a high-powered rifle because they figure they're going to have to kill this thing. And uh, and they've got a, a tag on it, so they know approximately where it is. So these two guys are out there. So here's the video. These two guys are shouting. The lion's name is Christian. They're shouting, Christian, Christian. And, and finally the camera shoots off in the distance, and here's this lion just kind of trotting down the hill and all of a sudden breaks into a full gallop toward them. Jumps up on them, arms around it, just like you'd hug a long-lost friend, you know, as a, a cat would, licking them in the face, and just all over both of them, which is pretty awesome. But for me, the more awesome part of that is that I'm sure that this lion, Christian, did not speak to his wife back up the hill and say, excuse me, these are my friends, uh, don't eat them. But the female lion, who's a totally wild lion, never exposed to humans, comes down the hill with him and walks over to these guys and rubs against them, against them like a big kitten and lets them pet her. And wow. the space. <laughs> and and yeah, my thing yeah. is, you know, how does the female do this? I mean, her most, most bred-in instinct is, here's food, and... You know, here's the male that obviously is exuding an energy, and these two guys are obviously exuding an energy, and they just have a reunion, and she's just part of the party. You know, not a word said. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that a while ago. That that is extraordinary. That really is a tear-jerking experience to watch it happen. Boy, yeah. To me, those three, yeah. the lion and the two guys, are the space. Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. we mean by holding a space. And and it's a literal high-energy wave that exudes from us. And, you know, one of the purposes of this work is to get this work to every mind, heart, and being on the planet, or at least a critical mass of people, so that that space becomes available to every person in pain and turmoil and trauma. Let's put an end to punishment. Let's create a space where healing happens, as opposed to, well, somebody did something wrong. We better go beat up on them and put them in jail and make sure they, you know, suffer for their their traumas. It's, you know, it's a different uh, different approach. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's excellent. Thank you. That's a great, great, um, you know, example of it. That that's part of the way you teach. I know from what I've seen. It's you have these wonderful examples, which really cement ideas in people's minds and make them real for them. So I thank you for that. Delighted. Glad to be on the team and glad to have you on ours, sir. By by the Thank way, you. about th- about three weeks ago, when I did a rolling stop in Ellington, Florida, my ticket was only 150. Ah, that's what I did here. It's, it's, <laughs> it is it is more expensive in California to live here. Yeah, yeah I'm glad I'm, I'm in Florida. Five hundred dollars. Oh, five hundred dollars. Yeah, that's pretty outrageous. That's pretty yeah. outrageous. <laughs> okay. Oh well. Sorry. All right, thank you for your call, sir. Have a blessed one. Thank you. Take care. Okay, take care. Jeannie, you've got another caller for us, sweetie? I do. And, Paul, I'd also like to offer that. It sounds like when you were working with this person and, and you said you just allowed them to talk and cry for a while, it sounds like you were holding the space for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Right. yes. All right. Our next caller is area code 828. You're on the air. Who do we have? Hi there, this is Magda from Missouri. Well, hey there, Miss Magda. Good to hear your voice. How are you, young lady? 
uh, doing so well. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, what I'd like to share is um, about the uh, something that occurred at our uh, uh, support group on Tuesday night here at Heartland. Uh, and um, it's uh, about the uh, power person dynamic. And I think this is the first time I experienced it in this particular way. Uh, what what uh, <clears throat> came up for me was my disturbed sleep, and that very often I will fall asleep deeply and then wake up with a start, and there are thoughts going through my mind, and so forth and so on. So we we went into that very deeply, um, and I think that Miss Julie Haversick may have. Um, uh, developed a variation on your um, uh, mind shifter tool. And what she had me do, first of all, she asked, what are you doing when you wake up? What's going on? And I said, worry. It's always some kind of worry. And so uh, she had me then, she had just said the word, and she said, write down the first word that comes to your mind. So she said, worry, and I wrote down this and that and that and that. And she, we repeated this, and Oh, I think I probably had 20 responses. And then from that, we had a little discussion in the group. And um, the bottom line was that it, it wasn't a simple process. It came through quite a while. And I have many lovely worksheets to do with this. Um, but the bottom line was that uh, I had integrated my father's worry and and it's the same kind of worry. He worried about his own capabilities uh, rather than worrying about the economy or his job or the car. And I'm, I'm the same way. Rather than worry about something outside of myself, I worry about can I do it? Will I remember? Blah, blah, blah. And um, so I thought, wow, that's a big piece. I, you know, I'm just repeating uh, his, um, his power person. Um, response when my stuff gets up. Later that evening, <clears throat> when I was at home, I got the other part, which is that I'm, I'm saying this out loud so I can reorganize it in my mind, so I'm, I'm a little bit faltering here, but the other... We're here to hold that, the space. Okay, thank you. Um, the other part is that when I'm not worried, when that's not going on, there's another dynamic going on, and that's my secondary power person, my mother. And that was about her being critical toward him. That's the modeling I saw, being critical toward him because he didn't do blah, 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 whatever it was. And so I'm either worrying about doing it or I'm being critical toward myself, again, using both power person um, um, energy. So I know what I need to work on. <laughs> and, and the thing for me that was a surprise was that my mother was even involved in there. And that was a really big aha, um, because I usually don't even think of her as a power person. However, in this case, she certainly was. Oh, it was a big nice catch. Deal. Nice catch. That's powerful. And yeah. well, you talk well. You talk about how you criticized yourself, 
you know, the actual modeling that your mother gave you. Now, she may have criticized herself too, but the actual modeling that your mother gave you was criticizing her husband. Do you ever find yourself criticizing your partner? Oh, I think he's standing over there smiling at me with a very wry smile. And, uh, yeah, the answer is yes. Right. I I, well, yeah, I, I got that. <laughs> yeah. He's waiting well, and saying I, hi to you. I just told the space that, uh, you know, that power person dynamic can disappear. And, and when there's something to be uh, be shared, it can be shared lovingly, gently, respectfully, and in all elements because, of course, criticism instead of coming from the Rachma filter, it comes from the hostility filter. And right. so that uh, you can, if you if you notice that dynamic coming forward, you can reset Rachma. And, you know, there's a message to be delivered. And so you deliver it mm-hmm. through that Rachma filter and words keep to love. And what you find is a whole other level of stress will disappear from your mind and from your relationship and, and probably yeah. from Chuck's mind too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think you are so right. Um, I know you're right. Yeah, you're. I thought of that immediately after I got the mom up part. I went, oh my goodness, I see how I do that. Yeah, absolutely. We were so, talking in the intent this morning about uh, about people who live with a critical parent, uh, and they need to either give or receive their daily dose of disapproval. So if one lived with a power person that when their stress was up and the chips were down, was always telling the child, you're wrong, you can't do it right, we can't trust you, you better do you got to do this, you got to do that, was always in control and always, you know, doing some sort of a put down, then, you know, the person who comes out of that environment basically needs to have their daily dose of disapproval and will tend to do behaviors that will elicit disapproval from somebody around them. And or they'll, mm-hmm. when their stress is up, they'll model the behavior and they'll do the disapproving. And uh, it's just another power person dynamic to be uh, to be surfaced and healed. It is. It is. And along with healing that critical part, what I'm also working on is strengthening the nurturing part, the, the nurturing itself. Yeah. And and right yeah. along the way, you know, like, oh, I'm I'm doing a really good job right now and you know, and and you, and yes, honey, you deserve to sit down and relax. You have done enough today. And you know, talking to myself, inner inner talking as if uh I am my own parent talking to my little girl. So yep. that's cool. been really pleasant and um and full of love, yeah. And you know what? Uh, if you don't have any other callers, I have a question I'd like to ask. And you know what? What? I'll bet if you went into Chuck as he's working away at things and said, you know, dear, you deserve to sit down for a few minutes and relax and take care of yourself. You've done enough for now. He'd probably mm-hmm. appreciate that too. Yeah, and actually... I'm way better, I have been way better at doing that with him than with myself. So, um, yeah, (laughs) it's a matter of turning it around. And you've got a question for us. Let's go for it. Yes. Um, I've probably heard this a million times, and I'm still not, I still need to ask questions. Um, If a person asks me, well, what do you mean 
um, Yeshua taught this to us. Where do you get that from? So I don't know what to say. Yeshua came up with the forgiveness. You know, how do you answer that? Well, my way of answering it is that I had the privilege of getting to uh, to get involved with the first century manuscript with the teachings of Yeshua in full form, as opposed to the abbreviated teachings that we see today. And, you know, there are many of the truths of Yeshua are, are in, at least to a degree, the Greek transcripts or the Greek translations of Yeshua's teachings. And... Unfortunately, I think that oftentimes they've been edited. You know, if you go back to Yeshua, he says, the things I do, you can do, and greater. But, you know, if you've got somebody that's kind of a little insecure and they're not doing too well, and you're the source of their income, how soon do you suppose they're going to hand you all the tools to set you loose to do your own thing? So, by and large, what's been edited out of the Greek manuscripts is the how-to that Yeshua taught. He says, the things I do, you can do in greater, and here's how you do it. So, you know, we've been told to forgive, and that's what he says to do, but then nobody told us how to edit. Let's remove that. And so, you know, I, I had the privilege of getting to work with first century Aramaic words of Yeshua, learn to decode them, learn to bring them into expression and how they worked. And that's why my uh, appreciation always goes back to what he created and brought forward into the world because I have seen nowhere else on the planet where it exists. Nowhere. So that would be my answer. So the quote, you know, um, we were told to forgive. Okay, so... In in the Aramaic, um, can can you actually quote it from the Aramaic? I don't mean to say in the Aramaic language, but in in the translation from the Aramaic. So if, if we look Greek at, for instance, well, the Greek translation says this: "You must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother." Mm-hmm. And that, in this culture, turns into, I think for most people, kind of a bleeding heart statement. Oh, you, you know, with this heart of yours, you let this person off the hook for what they did to you. But in Aramaic, what that statement would properly say is, you must forgive as to the wrongs from your heart, the wrongs of your brother. The words as to add a whole dimension to the process. So let's say you and I interact, and I refer to you as my brother, and when we interact, you do something that brings up rage in me. So in my mind, I see this person named Magda who enrages me. That's my projection. And I realize that my projection comes from my own heart or my own unconscious. We couldn't even translate the word unconscious until just the last few decades in this culture. So nobody had a clue what it meant for almost 2,000 years. So now what I hear Yeshua saying is, your brother or your friend, Magda, just brought up rage in you. You've projected it and pretended that she's made you angry. So, Michael, take a breath. You've got to remove from your heart that which Magda re- 
remove from your unconscious, forgive from within you that which Magda brought up from you. And by the way, here's how you do it. The word forgive is shebag, and it means to cancel. Look at the goal you have for Magda. Cancel the goal you have for Magda. Collapse the projection and drop into the hidden part of your mind that holds this rage and heal your rage. And, you know, you've heard me talk about it before, and actually this was another thought that I had to uh, share with Paul, so I hope he's still with us. And, you know, in almost uh, 45, going on 50 years of doing this work, I can remember going back many years ago, 20, 25 years ago, and, and looking at the previous decades and wondering, you know, what the core of healing, what's the key to this healing process? How does it happen? And what became apparent to me was that every time someone would access something inside themselves that they've hidden from themselves, which is what we do when we forgive, and was simultaneously able to hold a space of love or have someone there holding a space of love for them, then healing happened. So when what we've dissociated from and hidden in our minds, hate, fear, anger, rage, guilt, grief, drama, and trauma, comes forward in the presence of active love, it dissolves. So someone holding the space when I cancel a goal, and when I cancel that goal, I collapse the projection that my rage is about you, and I drop into my unconscious, the hidden part of my own mind. And I'm able to access the root of that rage. And as I do, and it's exposed to love, it dissolves in me and I'm freed of it. In the example Paul just gave, you know, this woman who had all this trauma around someone dying, the trauma didn't have anything to do with someone dying. That was the trigger. The trauma was whatever she held inside of her about death. And so here's Paul inviting her to cancel her goal, and, and he's the space as these traumas arise in her, and our traumas just dissolve when the active presence of love is there. Right, right, good. That was a superb answer. Thank you. <laughs> I needed that extra part, um, putting it all together about the real meaning of heart, being the unconscious. Yes, and the unconscious. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. All right. Okay. Yeah, you see more than one place where Yeshua talks about that. He says, you know, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. He's saying go to that physical pump between between your ribs, and and that's where the issues Mm -hmm. in your life come from. No. No, he's saying you've got to take care. You've got to look into your own unconscious dynamics because that's where the issues in your life come from. And and if you see an issue in your life that you project into your brain's image of your brother, then you've got to collapse that to forgive that from your heart, to remove that from your life. And so the word yes. forgive is remove. It isn't about letting people off the hook. And the other place that I would go with that question if somebody – now, I can understand where people who've been taught to diss and and tell us how provincial and silly the teachings of Yeshua are could could hear my answer just a moment ago and say, eh, so what? My next step would be, I'll tell you what, don't believe a word I just said. Why don't (laughs) you just take the tool and try it and watch what happens? You don't have to believe in this stuff. All you have to do is try it. It just works. That's all. And that yeah. would be the next answer that I would offer somebody. Great. Thank you. Nice piece. Okay. Oh, thank you, Michael. Thank you again and again. Um, Absolutely delighted. So glad I'm, to be on I'm the team. Thinking, I'm sorry. Say again? I say glad to be on the team. <laughs> and so glad to, to be on your team as well. Um, thank you again. Have a beautiful day. Uh, I'm going to the big town. 
Theodosia. Awesome. All right, have a blessed one. <laughs> okay. Have a great time in Theodosia. Give it a hug for us. Absolutely. Okay, I'll continue listening. Thank you. Okay, blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. So we've got Bye-bye. about seven minutes left. Jeannie, do you have another caller for us? Yes, I do. It's area code 417. You're on the air. Uh, Give us a name. Where are you calling from? This is Jim. Is this me? Well, hey there, James. Good to hear your voice. How do you be, young man? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I have a comment that I think might be helpful. It's something that came to me a number of years ago when I was teaching a Y workshop, but it just had one of those intuitive downloads. Uh, And and it occurred to me that to share this, uh, when I first heard Paul... uh, last week or the week before, and I didn't catch the first 10, 15 minutes of the show. And my understanding is he was merging with a group in Michigan. Uh, and my thought was, well, my question is, is that a, a secular group or a, a group of like-minded people? Actually, actually, he's working with Rex and Mark, who are forming the Ruka group to work to take these teachings specifically to businesses. And he's, uh, Paul's specialty is creating curriculums. So he's working with them to merge and bring forward a curriculum for businesses uh, with the, uh, the Y work. Okay. Then, then my comment uh, may be germane uh, for anybody that's listening. Uh, and I hope Paul is listening. Uh, who themselves are new to the work and are at that point where they're just just prior to the awareness that it really takes to shift the mind and embrace the work uh, or uh, have somebody that they know or want to teach in a business environment. And the example that I used doing a workshop one day was uh, suppose you are in a group of 10 people, and let's just use a scenario where you're a salesperson, and the sales manager comes in on Saturday morning and slams the meeting room door and pounds his fist down on the desk and starts to go into a tirade where he's saying, you know, last month was the worst month we've had in business. Uh, This has got to stop. And he goes on and on and on and on with this tirade. And uh, I think this will help people. Well, I'm basing, let me back up a little bit. I'm basing this comment on the fact that my belief is, in my experience, the most difficult part in the beginning uh, is for somebody that's new to the work is to get it that it's a home game, to get it that it's not about them, to get it that you can change your mind and change your life. You don't have to change somebody else's mind. Uh, And uh, the fact that you get to use tools to change your mind, ultimately people you're in relationship with will show up differently. So it will appear that they changed their mind, but actually it was a home game. So in that scenario where that sales manager slams his fist down on the desk and goes into this tirade, if we would interview the 10 people who were in the class, I suspect we might get the following responses. Two or three of them would be in terror and fear of their jobs uh, and come away with Uh, really having been intimidated, Uh, another two or three uh, might be mildly intimidated uh, and or motivated to try and do better. And then the last two or three might say, you know what, this isn't about me. This is silly. This is, you know, Harry's just had a very bad day. You know, he must have gotten up on the wrong side of the bed. 
uh, and I don't buy into this at all. I, I know my job is secure. I know, I know I'm doing a good job. So the point of the whole story is that if it were truly them uh, that was causing our emotional pain, then uh, it follows that all 10 of those people would have the same reaction. All 10 of those people would have an emotional reaction to Harry and his tirade. And the fact that we would get uh, varied um, interpretations of what Harry did, I think is proof positive that it is a home game, and it's all about those file folders that we have stored in our subconscious uh, that are accessed by somebody like Harry. And if we have a file folder around fear or around authority figures or concern about our job, we would react in that regard. And if we are self-confident in our job and just recognizing that Harry's in his stuff and I don't need to go there, uh, I think for me this is uh, empirical evidence that it is a home game. And I'm complete. Cool. It's always a home game, isn't it, Jim? I believe so. Yep. <laughs> the good news and the good news. All right, sir. Appreciate that input. You have a blessed one. Thank you. Okay, take care. Jeannie, you've got a caller for us? We'll see if we can catch everybody today. I know we Actually, missed a few the folks other one yesterday. dropped off, so that's it. Oh, oh, okay. Well, then we're down to about the last two minutes, so I'll just uh, – put forward the thought that uh, we appreciate your participation, your questions. It definitely makes the uh, the process more alive and uh, your experiences. We appreciate hearing them. It's an inspiration for everybody to get to, uh, to tap into those. And uh, we are here 1,000% for anybody who's interested in using these tools to support the use of the tools. And if you haven't accessed the forgiveness process yet, you can go to www.whyagain.org, our website, and scroll down. You may have to scroll down a little bit, but you'll see a bullseye in the middle of the page. Click the bullseye. And that bullseye will walk you through a whole series of instructions on how to utilize first century Aramaic forgiveness. On the home page, if you look over to the right, you'll see some some um, icons for social media. The bottom one is a link to our YouTube channel. It's a little red square with white uh, arrow in it. Click on that. And in particular, look at the uh, PowerPoint presentation that explains literally what took me 35 years to learn. Uh, it puts it together in 24 minutes on how the mind works and how first century Aramaic forgiveness works. And, and my hat's off to this man, Yeshua, who brought us such a powerfully, powerfully incredible gift is forgiveness uh, light years beyond it uh, the the ideas of forgiveness on the planet today it's time for us to restore it and we appreciate anybody who chooses to support that happening uh, you can go to our website if you want to donate to support our work as you notice we have no commercials it's not about commercial radio it's not about money it's about making the tools available if you want to support that there is a donate link on our our website you're welcome to touch in and offer support in the meantime much appreciation. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www. 
www.whyagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com.